This is Geek Gab with your hosts, John, Brian, and me, Daddy Warp Pig. We are back. Geek Gab for Saturday, November 4th, 2017. Today, we are talking about Thor Ragnarok, Only the Brave, and Geostorm. Three movies that all came out in the last couple of weeks. And because we have but a very, very short time today, we're going to be trying to pull each of these out. A full review from all three of us in 10 minutes apiece. We got half an hour before Brian has to go meet with his near and dear loved ones. So we're going to be trying to move very, very quickly. So we tossed a coin before the show. And uh, the winner of the movie we wanted to talk about first was Geostorm. Primarily because... I'm the only person who saw it. And the suggestion was passed along that maybe we shouldn't talk about Geostorm. And I insisted it had to be on the schedule, if only because it was so awful, so terribly awful, that I felt like there was tons and tons and tons of interesting mistakes that you could dive into with just this movie by itself. So let's start off at the top. This is a movie by Dean Devlin. Now, you may not know what that name means, but he, this is the third time he has remade this exact same plot. He made it before with The Day After Tomorrow, about a sudden ice age descending on the planet and waves of cold moving across the landscape that characters had to run away from and escape. And then he made 2012. 2012, supposedly about the date that the Mayans predicted the end of the world and in this movie, starring John Cusack, they had to figure out how to save people from the end of the world. So, Geostorm, by the way, in case you hadn't picked it up yet, is about the end of the world. Like the other two movies, not by nuclear war, not by anything mankind has done, not by the rage virus, but the end of the world because Mother Nature is getting revenge against the foul people who pollute her. So, Geostorm, they decide, since weather is going nuts, in 2019, they decide to build a worldwide array of satellites with different capabilities that will control the weather. They literally build a physical array of thousands of satellites in orbit around the Earth that are all connected together in a giant lattice. You could literally walk 
from one satellite to the next, to the next, to the next, around the entire circumference of the Earth. And it covers everything, the whole planet. It's a giant metal sphere of satellites. I'm going to pause for just a moment and allow our resident science fiction author to comment on the practicality of such a contraption. Oh boy, yeah, that, uh, that that's right up there with the Edsel and New Coke in, in terms of innovation, um, except almost as disastrous because uh, I, I did some research into this for a book a little while ago and what he basically got there is a, a mini Dyson swarm except built around a planet instead of a star and the main difficulty with a setup like that is you know planets move very quickly in many directions both rotating around their axes and moving around the Sun so the problem is unless you can get all of these satellites this whole web of satellites to exactly match the planet's movement, um, they're going to bonk into the planet. And that's not going to be fun for anybody. Um, by the way, I want to I tell people about the scale of the disasters that they're stopping. The East River swallows all of, North, uh, of lower Manhattan. Two million people die in one single day because of a heat wave in... Madrid. Two million people. Okay. So, now, this is not what happens when the satellites go haywire. This is what happens when nature is striking back at men, the species impudent enough to build a technological base and destroy planet Earth. Now, this is the supposed wild weather that they're saving us from. Um, it is the director, and, and I, I hesitate to say this. I wrote this down in my notes, but I had to take it back. I wrote that the director wants to be Michael Bay, but then I remember the other movies this director and producer has done, which include Stargate, Independence Day, the 1999 Godzilla movie with Matthew Broderick, and of course the aforementioned Day After Tomorrow and 2012. And so I can't really say he wants to be a, he wants to be Michael Bay because he's always done these over the top, overblown movies. He's just not as good at it as Michael Bay is, and especially in some scenes set in Florida, he does steal Michael Bay's super saturated. Uh, palette. Michael Bay loves vibrant colors, beautiful, vibrant colors. And Devlin generally doesn't, if you remember Stargate. There's not a lot of vibrant colors uh, in that movie, but not a lot of high saturation values. So I don't know that that is entirely true, but he definitely has become more like someone who's imitating Michael Bay than he used to. Um, oh, and by the way, just in case you wondered why I mentioned in the day after tomorrow, that there is a wall of cold from which people were running away. As the wall of cold gradually progressed the top the across the ground, freezing anyone who wasn't fast enough to run away from the cold. 
The reason why I mention that is because, like the day after tomorrow, this movie also features a wall of cold running across the ground from which people are running away. And those who are not fast enough get frozen in place. When I say he's made this exact same movie before, he has made this exact same movie before. Different characters, different situations, but it's all patriotism is evil. It's all the most hyper-patriotic person um, is generally suspect. It's all uh, the UN is brave and noble. The United States military is evil and incompetent. Yada, 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 yada. Uh, it's, if you have seen one Dean Devlin movie before, or see, especially seen one of those two I mentioned previously, you have seen this movie. Well, I've spent my nine minutes that I have allotted for this film, and I am completely out of notes. There are plenty of other things I could make fun of this movie for, but that's enough. I do not think this is a great movie. You can check it out if you want to. I would not recommend people go and see it unless you're going to see see it just specifically to laugh at it. So let's move on to the next movie we want to talk about. Only the Brave, also known as that firefighter movie. Uh, John, what did you think? Well, it's a perfect segue, really, because it involves... Uh... Well, men running from extreme natural disasters. Only in this case, it makes sense, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, this is actually a, I I I'm a, I'm lukewarm on it. I kind of liked it. Uh, I had no idea what to expect going into it. Uh, it was sort of a, a last minute thing, but uh, it it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. It was you know a dramatization of you know a real group of uh, firefighters in Arizona. Who fought wildfires? Um, so that means not fire hoses and, and things. They you know they dig trenches and burn off potential fuel to try to contain the fire, right? Uh, so it is a really fascinating story, but it wasn't done like a it wasn't done like a traditional movie with the you know the story structures and and everything you know in a lot of ways. You know, you just sort of watched what happened to these people from, you know, the beginning to the end without, like, it didn't have a, it didn't have a narrative is what I'm saying, which, which uh, kind of surprised me. Uh, but I enjoyed watching it. It was really, uh, like, it was really interesting and really, it was really touching and moving, you know, the story about these guys who go out there and risk their lives every day to fight these fires. And it's got an incredible cast. It has Josh Brolin in it. It has Jeff Bridges in it. It has Jennifer Connelly in it. It has Andy McDowell in it. Um, and even though Taylor Kitsch is in it, he turns in a really, really good performance. The other guy who's the main character is Miles Teller, who plays um, played Mr. Fantastic in the Fant Four Stick movie. And he has really always bugged me as a person. I just I have also watched him in the uh, in the young adult science fiction divergence movie series and i've never really liked him as a as an actor something about him just kind of bugs me but i thought he did a great job in this movie he turned it a, a an incredible performance so i'm going to have to concede that uh, even though i don't necessarily like him he's actually a really good actor 
Yeah, I thought so too. I, I haven't seen the other stuff he was in. Uh, I, I now that you mentioned the the fantastic fant thing, the for fan force. You know what? Uh, I didn't. I hadn't recognized him. I was just like, yeah, this this guy's really good at playing a guy who is you know troubled by personal demons. Um, did you did you see only the brave Brian? No. Okay. Um, here's the thing, folks. I really, really, really liked. Uh, only the brave and it is absolutely the entire point of the first main part of the movie is to get you into the lives of these characters and let you know who they are because everything that happens in the latter part of the movie you have to have investment in the characters um, and that's why great actors and great actresses were so key in these roles. That's why Jennifer Connelly's performance, and again, it's Jennifer Connelly, who is uh, fantastically talented and uh, turns in a great, great, great performance. I don't I don't think Jennifer Connelly has had the career that she deserves, but in this movie, she turns in a, a, a phenomenal performance. Um, Josh Brolin. That was kind of an intentional pun, but go ahead. Josh Brolin... Um, is uh, is another person who uh, you're surprised that he turned out to be as great as an actor. I'm surprised he turned out to be as great as an actor as he is because the very first part that I saw him in was The Goonies. He played the older brother in The Goonies, the guy who was in sweats with a headband. Um, and you wouldn't think from that start, not that he did a bad job, because he didn't do a bad job. He did a great job in a very peculiar role that would not allow him to show off how good of an actor he is. And ever since then, he's just turned in performance after performance of really, really great stuff. He was in a bunch of 80s TV shows and then TV shows into the 90s. Um, and then he took a, a couple of years off and then just started starring in movies or appearing in movies. And uh, even in bad movies, he's done a great job. He was in, I believe, No Country for Old Men was really when people sat up and said, oh, wow, he's a great actor. And that's when he started getting some, um, some more of his uh, high-profile roles. But Yeah, well, I think, I, I think you're right. I think they definitely... I would say they carried the film because, uh, like I said, it was it was just like a simple, straightforward. Hey, these are these guys. This is who they are, and these are some things that they did and, and happened to them, right? Um, and so it, it didn't have like a traditional narrative. So it had to lean on those performances to really get any emotional impact out of the story. And I I think they mostly succeeded. So would you say it's a character study movie? No. No. It's a man versus nature movie. Gotcha. Well, and ironically, a better Man vs. Nature movie than the direct on-the-nose Man vs. Nature movie Geostorm. Yes, absolutely. Um, and, and the thing is, they build up a bunch of... So here's the thing. is You can't just show the personality of people. You can't just show them talking or about their past or having arguments or talking with their girlfriend or whatever. You have to actually have stakes. They have to actually have goals. They have to actually show that they are people that the audience can root for and admire. And you have to show that they are overcoming their goals to build up to the events in the final part of the movie. So this is a group of people who are a municipal 
Wild Fighter Brigade. They're what they call, uh, I don't remember the exact term, a second tier brigade or a type two brigade, a tier two brigade, something like that. Yeah, something like that. They're the second class wilderness firefighters. And the first class wilderness firefighters, the people that everybody defers to, are called hot shots. Uh, that's just like a, a slang term, or maybe it's a term of art across the country. And so Josh Brolin's character, who is the supervisor of this crew, again, it's the first crew in the country to be put together by a city, not a county, not a state, not the federal government, by a city who is this kind of firefighter crew. He has a brilliant insight into how a fire is going to behave. He looks at the wind, he looks at the weather, he looks at where the fire is burning and can say, this fire is about to go across that ridge, the winds are gonna pick it up and send it racing down the blaze on the other side. We need to get on the other side of this fire and dig a, tench, do a, dig a trench and do a backburn there or this thing's gonna be gone. So you see right from the beginning, this crew getting in there to save people's homes, this crew getting in there to fight the fire, risking their lives, and then because people don't listen to him, because he's just a second-class firefighter, something bad happens and, and a bunch of homes get wiped out. So it puts stakes in the struggle of this unit to get certified as a hotshot unit. And so the very first part of the movie is Here's the fire. Here's the stakes if a fire gets out of control. Here's how good these guys are at fighting fires. Here's why they want to become hot shots so that they gain the respect they deserve, that they've earned, so that they can help save people's lives, help save people's houses, help save their own city at some point. And that's the prediction Josh Brolin's character makes, is that there will be a fire wildfire come out and ravage towards the city and only his unit will be able to stop it. And so those are the stakes that you get set up with from the beginning. The main character has his own personal stakes to where he's kind of a loser. He's a druggie, but he uh, all of a sudden is, has a daughter and decides he wants to get his life together, decides he wants to get his act together. And so he goes and joins this fire crew because he had some training as a fireman. He had some training as an EMT before he drops out and becomes a druggie. And he's trying to fight to stay, uh, to get, uh, to stay clean, to gain the respect of his fellow firefighters and to prove, to get himself in shape and prove that he has what it takes to make it, not just on this, you know, tier two crew, but also as a hot shot. And he's brought into the situation where he's this complete newbie rookie. And they're in the year where they've been promised a chance to try out for the hotshot spots. And if Miles Teller character screws up, it screws the entire crew out of becoming hotshots. Josh Brolin and everybody else will not reach the goal that they have, will not reach the goal that you as the audience have been investing in. And so there's stakes there that keep on getting raised. And so because you have stakes, because you have conflict, because you have characters acting to try and accomplish something, not just fighting the fires, but fighting the fires, working towards a goal so they could be more effective at it, you can invest in the characters. And that's how the screenwriters draw you in, and they did a very good job of it. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. Uh, they, they definitely, because if they didn't, the movie, frankly, would have been boring. <laughs> and it wasn't. It was. It was really interesting. 
really exciting, especially when the stakes, it, if, in, in my opinion, I think it took a little too long for the stakes to really come into play because they, um, because the crew is so good and, you know, uh, Josh Brolin's supervisor is so competent that they just started off the movie with a series of wins, right? And and uh, they don't raise the stakes until near the end of the movie. And that's that's what sort of bothered me about the lack of narrative, right? Um, but, uh, you know, then by the, uh, you know, it wasn't that long into the movie that I realized that this is like a true story. So then that sort of, as long as you don't go in with those expectations, you can say, oh, wow, they really they really nailed this. They, they made this really seem human and interesting. And, uh, and these, and you have a lot of respect for these guys, bravery and ability. Yeah. Cause I mean, normally if you wanted to do the stereotypical movie, this would be like the, the, um, karate kid or, you know, the mighty ducks, the underdog team fighting to get respect. And then you'd have all the familiar story beats and it absolutely does not follow that path because it is trying to portray cinematically a true story. Okay, that's our 10 minutes for Only the Brave. I would recommend people go see it if, if that sounds like, if you love watching nature movies, if you're interested in these characters, it's a good and compelling movie. I'd recommend you go see it. What about you, uh, John? Yeah, I, have a, I, have a, I recommend it. Okay, let's move on to the final movie, uh, Thor Ragnarok, which uh, is the latest Marvel movie starring the uh, long-locked Chris Hemsworth as the titular Thor, God of Thunder, Asgardian, in his third movie. Um, and we're going to allow Brian to take this one from the top. As the show goes silent. Are you still Brian? Are you still there, Brian? Should I jump in? <laughs> Are you still Brian, or have you become something dark? Who are, who are you, and what have you done to Brian? I didn't see this one, actually, so go ahead. Oh, my apologies. I thought you said you had seen this one. Nope. I do have some trivia lined up if we have time. Um, John saw it, I, I know. Uh, do you want oh, yeah, to yeah. take it? Oh, yeah. What can I say? So it, everybody saw the trailer, right? You know, Thor, Thor gets locked up in a, you know, in a gladiator coliseum, and... And he ends up fighting the Hulk, and, and everything gets turned on its head, and it's it's a laugh, it's a hoot. That's the film. Uh, this, uh, thank goodness, uh, after the sort of drab, boring uh, story of the second Thor movie, the one with the elves, the dark elves. The dark world, I oh, think. Oh yeah, the, the, the dark world, uh, which was kind of sort of a blah story and kind of a boring film. They just went right back to pure cheese uh it, it was um, it as fun as that trailer was you know that moment in the trailer that was the whole movie like everybody had fun there was lots of of fun stuff going on so it was definitely and and the stakes were high right but uh but marvel sort of got this reputation and, and the heroes had this reputation now that we're all going to sit down and have fun and they did um i i enjoyed it from start to finish i mean I thought I didn't enjoy most of it. Um, the problem is, I thought the first movie, even though it was kind of weak in a lot of respects, really nailed the feel of what Thor should be as a character. It was weak in story respects. It was weak that it didn't have enough time to give Thor 
the, the development time as a person to outgrow his problems to get his hammer back. But the whole, you know, these are beings who are called gods, but they're not really gods. They're an alien race and they have high technology. It's the Van, Van Daniken chariot of the gods thing. And I thought they really, really nailed the feel of a fantastic world where what they called magic was really technology. Now, Chris Hemsworth himself, when Thor 2 came out, didn't want to do that anymore. So he said, oh, what I want to do is I want to do more fantasy. That's what will make this great. I don't know. Maybe you saw The Lord of the Rings recently or, or The Hobbit or something. He said, I want to do more fantasy. That's why they got rid of most of that from the second one. And we're trying to heavily push the fantasy angle in that conflict. And then for this movie, Chris... There's so many Chris's in the Marvel Universe. The Guardians of the Galaxy came out. Chris Pratt did such a great job. And everybody loved Guardians of the Galaxy so much. Um, Chris Hemsworth came in and said, well, I want to do a movie that's like the Guardians of the Galaxy. So Thor 2, Thor, or Thor Ragnarok, is what you get if you took Guardians of the Galaxy, that aesthetic, the visual, colorful aesthetic, the space traveling background and the aliens and technology of Guardians of the Galaxy and stuck it into a Thor movie. Um, that's what this movie was. And the problem is, is that because they were trying to make it a comedy, not trying to make it a dramatic movie with comedic moments, but actually trying to make it as comedic as the Guardians of the Galaxy was, they completely missed the actual tone of the material. There was a vast mismatch between the material, the conflicts going on, and the actual tone of the movie. And it just came across as being uh, obliviously silly. I think you've got a point. My... My counter to that is that, it, but it was entertaining. It was fun. Uh, I there, but there were a couple of moments that where that really came through. A couple of scenes that really should have ended up on the cutting room floor. Um, there's a there's a fun cameo by an alien played by uh, Reese Darby. Um, if you've seen Flight of the Concords, he's the guy who played Murray, the wacky ginger New Zealander guy. He's a funny guy, but as soon as you hear that voice, that immediately sets the tone for pretty much the rest of the movie. Um, and and it was a you know a cute cameo with a, with a few fun jokes, but then he shows up a couple more times in the movie, and again at the end of the movie, and you're like, wow, the, all, the rest of his sh scenes should have been cut uh, because it was a little too silly. You know, we were all already have fun having fun, and then you know this this guy comes in with a couple of more try-hard ad-libbed jokes, and you go, oh, yeah, I get what you're saying, but uh, it was fun, it was entertaining. Uh, as soon as you, the the, it's not like they ch changed expectations. You may be right about what makes a good Thor comic or a Thor story, but. Like I, that's why I mentioned the trailer. Like your expectations going in were set. You knew what you knew what you were getting into. Um, the the reason why I found it jarring was because if you've got the story of a 
mostly loser, kind of good guy, kind of bad guy, galactic space thief, a lovable rogue, who is breaking into a place to steal something and who is a complete unknown but wants people to know his name. And then everything else that follows from that in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, it ramps up slowly to big, you know, earth-shaking consequences. You have him and the uh, Rocket Raccoon and Groot and these other characters who are well-made for a comedy. Uh, the material, what they're doing, is well-suited for a comedy. Um, or at least they took the material and made it well-suited for a comedy. They did not make this material well-suited for a comedy. Um, I mean... You mean like the, the underlying you know plot what, what have you know what happens to kick everything off what what the stakes are yeah None of that really matches up with the rest of the tone of the movie nobody's taking this thing this really serious thing seriously Hela's invasion of asgard the, there's two movies that are melded together here and it's really schizophrenic there's the super comic sci-fi movie and then there's this epic fantasy uh invasion of asgard and they shouldn't have tried to stick these two movies together. They should have figured out something else to do with Hayleth, with what they wanted to focus on was the comedic sci-fi stuff. Maybe. Um, so, yeah. I, I'm not saying it's a bad movie. If you like the Thor movies and if you like the Marvel movies, I mean, Jeff Goldblum's in it. He does an incredible job. Um, you know, they've got a bunch of great actors in it who turn in good uh, performances to great performances. And there's a lot of it that's entertaining. I just, it did not, I was just confused most of it because it didn't hang together as well as they thought it would. They were switching um, back and forth between two storylines that, that should not be uh, together. Uh, so we are out of time. That's it. That's our 10 minutes for Thor Ragnarok. Um, I would still recommend people go see it. Obviously, John, it's a recommend, right? Yeah, uh, you'll have fun. It's a good popcorn flick. All right. Do you have any uh, last words before we go, Brian? Thanks, everybody, for listening. And good job keep keeping the schedule tight, everybody. <laughs> any last words, John? Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great weekend. Thanks for tuning in, folks. This is Geek Gab for uh, Saturday, November 4th, 2017. Uh, Thor Ragnarok, Only the Brave, and Geostorm, episode 122. You can catch us online at youtube.com slash geekgab. You can also catch us online at SoundCloud, the Apple iTunes Store, and the Google Play Store. By the way, if you're on YouTube, go ahead and click on the subscribe button to get uh, live announcements about when the show is going live so you can tune in. And be sure to double secret subscribe so that you will actually get the announcements you think you're going to get with subscribing, but which YouTube doesn't pass along. Thanks, everybody, for coming in. Thanks, everybody, for um, sitting through uh, for sitting through the show with us. And uh, we have to go for today. We all have stuff we have to do. But don't you worry. Don't you threat, fret. We will be back.